Thank you very much. And I'm going to begin by saying just a few words in defence of CQC, which is fortunate, really, because a number of my ex-colleagues are here to keep an eye on me. And what I want to say is two things. Firstly, that you shouldn't judge CQC by what it's done in its first few years, really. And I don't say that just because I've left and I'm sure someone much more able will come to take over me, has come indeed to take over me, but because judging organisations in the first few years when, well, in CQC's case, we had to cope with a merger, we had to bring a load of people into regulation who had never been regulated in this way before, notably general practice, soon uh, dentists, the NHS as a whole, of course, that hadn't been regulated in quite this way or had formally had a regulator. And we had to do it with less money, Staff had to abandon ways of working which they were very attached to and had to be given completely different terms and conditions of service. We had, And we also chose to try and invent a completely different customer experience through um, our customer services centre in Newcastle by moving, trying to move to online services by cutting the length of time it took to register and things like that. So the organisation has been through an enormous amount of change. And of course, it, not, not surprisingly, the public and indeed the politicians who've been involved in establishing the organisation become impatient when it takes you a long time to deal with these issues. But they do take a long time. And I do nevertheless believe that um, the beginning had come to an end for CQC at the point when I left and that the organisation had established itself and established its ways of working. We were committed to evaluate uh, uh, those ways of working, Kieran Walsh, has been hired amongst others to do that piece of work with CQC. So, I mean, I think that Anna, in her piece about Francis, talks about the amount of criticism the regulators had, and it has indeed had that, but it has been through an enormous amount of change to get it to a point where I think it's in well-placed and its stakeholders understand much better what it can do in terms of its role as a regulator. So that's my first thing in defence. When I left CQC, I promised everybody I'd stop talking about the merger and the difficulty it had been to get the organisation up running. So you heard it here last. I will never, ever say that again. But it's been a, a very difficult thing. We should remember how hard it's going to be for the NHS Commissioning Board. Its setup's going to be far, far more complex than CQC's was. The second thing I just want to say in defence of CQC is that it wasn't Stafford's regulator. Now I know everybody here understands that. And I think just going back to what Anna was saying a few seconds ago, that I, we did work very hard at the beginning. I mean, we were born the day after the Stafford report was published, something I remember very vividly. We worked very hard from the beginning, and we put this in our evidence to the Francis Inquiry to try and learn some of the fundamentals about what we thought had gone wrong that enabled those sort of, as, as Anna's word, gross inadequacies in care, failures in care to persist at Stafford. And one was about putting an inspection programme into the NHS. There'd never been an inspection programme in the NHS apart from the HCAI programme that the Healthcare Commission ran. And so we, we put in a programme of unannounced inspections. So we were heavily criticised and have been criti criticised for abolishing the investigations team, but from my point of view, we were putting that methodology, which was an enhanced, enhanced sorry, inspection methodology, into the whole system. And that there is no substitute from a regulator's point of view for putting boots on the ground by doing unannounced inspections. And from my mind, that was a key piece of learning from what had happened in Stafford. So getting out there, and as Anna's already said, trying to make sure that the inspections, our methodology says 60% of the inspections got to be spent on talking to frontline staff and talking to patients and their carers and families about what their experience of care 
is. The second thing was about sharing information across the system that uh, we felt very strongly that our point of maximum exposure was when we knew or we believed we knew something about the quality of care somewhere in the system that the rest of the system didn't know or more particularly the public and patients didn't know. And so we began a process of trying to think about how quickly we could share information with commissioners, with the trust themselves, sometimes having a very open dialogue with providers about what we were seeing, but more particularly finding ways of ensuring that our most up-to-date judgments or concerns about organisations were put into the public domain as quickly as we possibly could. The third, is, as Anna's talked about, is the, out the voice of the user and how we could get that into our judgments, and I will say a bit more about that later on. And the last was about, particularly after Winterbourne View, about whistleblowing and having opportunities for staff to make contact with us, and we established a whistleblowing helpline in again at our customer services centre in Newcastle and that's very heavily used and we've audited it already to look at well whether actually that is telling us things that we don't know about organisations and what impacts that's having on uh, the regulatory decisions that CQC is making so we try to in common with the rest of the system take from what we could from uh, our understanding of what had happened at Stafford and what had gone wrong although of course the Francis inquire will have a much more sophisticated view of that and, and take that into what we were doing. So beyond defending CQC, a number of things I would want to say. I still think that one of the things that I tried to do when I took on uh, CQC and tried to establish the new regulators was to try and, try and understand what the, the quality drivers were in different parts of the system. And I think for the NHS, that remains confused. And I'm fairly sure it's, it's hard now to know what we were talking about without going back looking at the transcripts and our statements, but I'm fairly sure one of the things that was debated as part of France's inquiry was, uh, and I think it's a point that David Nicholson makes, is that we beca become enthralled by the techniques of things like, back in 2006 it was PBR, it was Foundation Trusts, it was about competition and choice, that was a very strong theme at that time at the end of the of the Blair government and that was it wasn't just that that was a distraction from thinking about quality in the organizations that was intended to be a driver of quality so there was at that time there was a, a great focus on consumer choice as driving change in quality improvement and that of course is still a theme today but at the same time we view the NHS not just as consumer choice. In fact, the public tend to abreact when we talk about the NHS in those ways. We still see it largely as a citizen entitlement with national standards, with national requirements, with organisations looking to national political leadership for some notion of what the NHS is there to do and what improvements they're there to make in the NHS. So I still think that we, we struggle a bit with understanding where we think the main levers and drivers for quality are going to come. And again, as Anna makes a point in her paper about Francis' report, there's still a tendency uh, to look up to try and ensure that we're understanding what the, the external requirements are for quality improvement rather than thinking about we'll drive quality improvement by focusing on what the patient said. And again, back to CQC, we tried very hard to say our methods were going to be focused on outcomes for patients, the experience of the patient or the service user, and that if you were getting it right for them, you'd likely to be getting it right in terms of what the regulator was interested in, and we would only go back and look at details of processes if we really thought that uh, you weren't getting the outcomes right. So that tension between developing a patient-centric 
drive of improvement and the sort of national citizen entitlement drive of improvement, I still think is, is strongly there and causes some problems. I agree that with Anna entirely, and of course everybody would, that the best defence against poor quality care is the person sitting in front of you who's giving you care, whether it's a clinician or a member of staff in a care home. And I would still argue that probably the revalidation of doxies is one of the, most, the strongest external drivers of quality that we've got now in the system. And, and one of the things that's going to make the most impact on the quality of care beyond what happens in, with individual organisations. But how we empower and support and encourage clinicians to report poor care or themselves ensure that their care is the best it can possibly be in that culture of openness an appropriate challenge. Again, I've been to and, and seen many, many organisations where that's far from the case, and we indeed know that that is indeed the case. I think how we, going back to the drivers for change, how we engage the user in improving the quality of their own care and how we can engage people more in things like the complaints process, uh, as Anna said, big issues in complaints a lot of the time in organisations. We still see organisations that don't handle complaints well are still too defensive about complaints that don't see complaints as a rich source of information about how quality in the organisation is going. We saw in the Danny review, for example, uh, the dignity and nutrition reviews that we undertook on, uh, on behalf of the, uh, the instigation of the Secretary of State, that actually being a powerful advocate for yourself or having an advocate there for you, a family member there for you who was supporting you was one of the strongest protective factors that you could have in terms of the quality of care you were getting. But still that wasn't coming through. People still seem enthralled to providers and other public services. Um, I was listening to Matthew Taylor at the Royal Society of Arts talking about refuse collection of all things. I know it might be a long place in the NHS to refuse collection, but talking about how many, many local authority public services improved because, in fact, the end user's been engaged in improving. You know, the only reason we hit all the recycling targets, we're so busy doing it all ourselves and sorting out our plastic from our glass, from our paper. You know, what, what engagement can we have in ensuring people feel that, that, you know, as much engaged in the quality of care that they're getting from the NHS and their own responsibilities to make demands around the quality of the care as they do in other public services that have harnessed that engagement much more effectively. I do think from CQC's point of view, getting that engagement was very difficult when a lot of the time the public expected us to give them individual redress. So the, the regulator isn't there to give individual redress to complainants, yet we wanted to hear their information and we wanted them to contact us through the web, uh, through talking to us about their experience. Yet at the same time we were saying, well, that's very interesting, but we can't actually do anything to give you individual redress. You have to go back to the organisation. That's a hard contract to give to the public. Uh, they want the regulator to give them individual redress when care is poor, but the regulator isn't able to do that. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. So we're constantly asking the public to give us information, but what they want is when something's gone wrong, that you're going to do something with that information. And it's not beyond the trust and the organisations themselves who, who gives that redress is still too confusing. My final point, I think, before Chris shuts me up, is that I think the other challenge for the regulator is that it's much better at tactical 
improvement than it is at strategic improvement. When quality is a tactical problem that you, you fail to implement some bit of good practice, that uh, there's something about the organisation itself that can be immediately put right. We, can't, we constantly saw organisations where there was models of good practice that were out there that they just weren't implementing and you could put them right, show them the things that they needed to do. But a lot of the quality challenges that organisations face are strategic challenges, they aren't tactical challenges. So they're challenges on service configuration, they're challenges on the money, they're challenges on the workforce. Maternity in London would be a great example. There's not enough midwives to go around CQC challenging them on the configuration of their maternity services is all very well and good, but does that really help uh, when you know that the real issue is the availability of midwifery across the city? So regulators are good at being tactical, but they're not so good at being strategic, and I think that, that the strategic challenges to quality are going to become more and more apparent over the next few months. And my last word is this, that, and again it's picking up a point that Anna made in her paper about Francis, increasingly we're dependent on services that work in cooperation with one another. Very few services are just discreetly de delivered by one organisation and your experience of quality is just by that one organisation does. And although I think CQC has tried, looking at interagency cooperation, looking at service delivery across the piece for people is a very hard thing for the regulator to do, which still pretty much focuses on the performance of individual organisations. So that's a real challenge for quality going forward. <laughs>